Guess who's back, y'all? We got Monsel Denton, a longtime friend of the show, the founder of Sacred Hunting, and uh, one of my close friends. Monsel's been on the show multiple times before. We usually talk hunting, nature, and a whole host of other things. And he just got back from a really rad trip. And one of the things that I love about Monsel is he's done some pretty crazy experiences, like uh, tracking Siberian tigers out in eastern Russia. Or uh, he just got back from Utah, where they, for science, went and um, darted, not killed, but uh, knocked out a mountain lion to get details and information on it and just really, really fascinating stuff and um, conservation efforts and all sorts of different things. But he he's a guy who goes around the world just doing really cool shit, and I'm really inspired by that. He reminds me a lot of a young Boyd Vardy who instead of making his backyard <laughs> wild, he continues to seek out and find wild places both in nature and inside himself. Uh, I always love podcasting with Munsell. He's he's a regular on the show for a reason. He's one of my good buddies, and he's always doing cool shit. So you guys are going to be fascinated with this podcast the same way I was. We've got a lot to talk about in regards to what's coming up. It's the end of the year, and I uh, hope you all just had a great Thanksgiving. Mine was ridiculous. We had uh, a Friendsgiving, and then Thanksgiving was with more homies out at the farm. And um, I thankfully... I've been training hard during all this, so haven't packed on too many pounds, but, um, you know, I do throw caution to the wind when it's the holidays. I do eat uh, and feast, you know, it's the time, the harvest is the time of the feast. And after that, it's good to reset the body. This is why Eric Godsey and I have carefully selected when we run Full Temple Reset, and that happens every year at the end of January, so... Do your thing, have fun during the holidays, and trust, if you guys sign up for this, that your body is going to be able to get right. You're going to you're going to snap back into metabolic flexibility, metabolic health, and that lasts surprisingly a long time. The science behind it, uh, fasting mimicking, shows six to twelve months of benefit from an inflammatory standpoint to metabolic flexibility standpoint. And I'm willing to bet that if you're trying to stretch that six to twelve from six to months to twelve months, that the difference there is how you eat in between. You know, if I get home and I go to Say I get home from full tumble reset and I just start pounding pancakes with syrup. It's probably not going to, those benefits aren't going to last too long. But if I continue to put good things in my body and follow the teachings from the wisest people that I've met, this is really what, what the breakdown is. We have an immersive with Eric Godsey and I every year at the end of January, January 24th through the 28th in person at the farm in Lockhart. Uh, you can find it in the show notes, fitforservice.com. And then there's a bunch of forward slash, all that jazz. Just click on it in the show notes and it'll take you right to the place. You can join the wait list. Uh, signups are going to be open very quickly here. A uh, week from today, so uh, December 6th, you're going to be able to, to sign up for it, open to the public. But if you join the wait list, you'll get early bird stuff. So make sure you do that. Um, like I said, we hit Fasting mimicking diet, sauna and ice bath every single day, mobility, opening up the body on all levels. And we deep dive uh, with Godzi a ton of stuff from Jungian psychology on Jungian symbology, dream work, and how that pertains to plant medicines. And the list goes on and on of really cool shit. Basically, the most powerful things that have influenced me and Eric in our lives. We get to deep dive for five days with you guys. At the end, we have an amazing, incredible sound healing and 
after that, we feast together. We enjoy the fact that we've been starving and now we get to eat together and celebrate the resetting of our body. Check it all out. It's in the show notes, Full Temple Reset, fitforservice.com. And I hope to see you guys there. I hope to meet you guys. This is one of the best ways to get to know me and Eric is being face-to-face in a small group for five days. And um, I'm excited for this year. You know, every time we've done this, we've had just an amazing experience. Godzi and I fast with you. We do the whole thing with you guys. I know how important it is for my health to be reset at least once a year. And I truly enjoy that. We are brought to you today by twc.health/kingsbury. I know that's an odd one, but basically what we're looking for here is a medical emergency kit. A staggering 275 million antibiotic prescriptions were handed out in the USA last year, and you or someone you love is probably going to need a prescription in the next 12 months. With supply chain issue shortages becoming a common reality, more families are being forced to take their health into their own hands. The wellness companies Medical Emergency Kit contains eight life-saving medications that every American should have in their medicine cabinet. If you have Tylenol, you should have this med kit. With antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics, it's like having a pharmacy in your own home. It contains emergency meds that you need like amoxicillin, ivermectin, and z The kit also includes a 22-page guidebook with instructions on safe use for each medication. From benign tick bites to pneumonia, every scenario is covered. These prescription-only kits are in high demand, so make sure you order yours now before the cold and flu season really ramps up. Look, we've done a lot. I've talked a lot about on the show about prepping in various ways, how to, what to have in your pantry, uh, what are good tradable goods if shit hits the fan, or even if you would just experience economy slows, right? We had lockdowns that significantly backed up what was coming in through our ports, ports of entry, uh, shipping slowed down, costs of everything went through the roof. It is really nice to know if somebody gets sick, I need stuff immediately. I don't need it two weeks from now. I don't need it three weeks from now. I certainly don't even need it five days from now. Early onset is the best time to take care of something. And you guys can be ahead of the curve. Go to twc.h-e-a-l-t-h slash Kingsbury. That's K-I-N-G-S-B-U-R-Y to grab your medical emergency kit. That's twc.health slash Kingsbury and use code Kingsbury to save 15% on your first order. Kits are only available in the USA. Next, we're brought to you today by curednutrition.com slash KKP. We all know that a full night of sleep is essential when we're working towards optimizing our overall health. Cured Sleep Bundle, which combines their best-selling Zen and most potent CBN, is the answer to ensuring that you get a full night of sleep every single night. Zen is a blend of functional mushrooms, cannabinoids, and adaptogens, while CBN is a lesser-known cannabinoid found in the hemp plant. These supplements were designed to support the two most critical stages of your body's natural sleep cycle, REM sleep and non-REM deep sleep. Cured's raw CBN oil contains 30 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of CBN. Together, the CBD and CBN create a synergistic whole body effect. When it starts to kick in, you'll notice every inch of your body soften into a deeper state of relaxation, as if you're lying beneath the comfort of a weighted blanket. Once you're asleep, Zen is there to ensure that your body is successfully cycling out of non-REM deep sleep and into REM and back again. Some people can't fall asleep, others can't stay asleep, and then there are those that fall asleep and stay asleep but still struggle to spend enough time in each sleep stage. No matter what is keeping you from true rest and restoration, this sleep bundle is your solution. Think of it as a one-two punch for a body and brain reset. I've been using this for three or four months now. I absolutely love it. Uh, Very easy to do. I think there's three capsules in the Zen and just one in the, uh, the CBN, which is really potent. But these two 
truly are a one-two punch. And there's zero grogginess when I wake up. There's no melatonin in it. Melatonin is chronically overdosed in the market and makes a lot of people groggy. I wake up feeling refreshed and ready to take on my day. And the most beautiful part about this is you're getting so many other things that your body needs to help battle inflammation and re- reboot. Uh, we've done entire podcasts on the endocannabinoid system, what we naturally produce and how we can consume the very best exogenous cannabinoids. And we really want that to come from the best available sources, from an organic and amazing product like Cured Nutrition. So go to curednutrition.com slash KKP, use code KKP for 20% off and pick up the Cured Nutrition Sleep Bundle. I guarantee you're gonna have the best night of sleep in your life. We're also brought to you today by a longtime sponsor, lucy.co, that's L-U-C-Y dot C-O. You can get 20% off of any order available with all products. Use promo code KKP at checkout, specifically for the Kyle Kingsbury podcast listeners. Look, we're all adults here, and I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's the end of the year. Why not finish it off by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? I don't love this stuff. There's, there's a major convenience factor here. Many, many, many more places on earth are, are saying, you know, no vapes allowed, even, even Airbnbs for crying out loud. I don't know if you follow the rules, but if you do, it's a good idea to make sure that you're consuming things in a way where you're not going to piss other people off and then you don't have to, to hide it. You know, I throw in this, this lozenge or a pouch when I'm on the airplane, there's nothing to spit. There's no chew can, there's no smoke, there's no vape, there's no nothing. And I can have an amazing flight on these things. Uh, right before bed, if I want to read, which I oftentimes, that's the only time that I have time to listen to Audible or read, I'll toss, I'll toss in some lucy.co and I'll listen to Audible and it gives me a small spark while it relaxes the body. It's a wonderful tandem, how that works. And I'll feel good and close my eyes and I'll listen to the book and I'll retain that information, which is super important. A lot of people read before bed and they're like, I can't remember anything the next day. You will if you have a wonderful product from lucy.co that is going to help you organize the brain in a way that you can remember things the next day. Check it all out. Lucy.co, that's L-U-C-Y dot C-O and use promo code KKP at checkout. And then I have to read verbatim. Also, I have to read this disclaimer. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine, visit lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code KKP. Next, we're brought to you by a new sponsor, Rizal Grounded Shoes. Get it at rizal.co. That's R-H-I-Z-A-L dot C-O. Get 10% off your Rizal Grounded Shoes with code KKP, or you can use rizal.co slash KKP. This is what we'll have linked in the show notes. I've talked about grounding and earthing a lot on this podcast and really the, the electromagnetic body as discussed in The Body Electric by Dr. Robert Rebecker and many other books that have really illustrated this. I've talked a lot about the brilliance and the, the horrors that you find out in the book, The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg. If you have not read that, link to the show notes, please, Jose. This is a must read. It's really important because it shows and illustrates how our electric bodies are influenced by electromagnetic frequencies in a way that's undeniable. It's the history of electricity and the history of disease all mirrored together. And it becomes pretty plain in figuring that out. So what are the ways we work around this? One of the most important things we can do is reconnect our feet to the earth. And if you live in a city, that's pretty freaking hard to do. If you're walking on sidewalks, which actually can be grounding, 
barefoot, you end up with some nasty ass feet. Uh, you can get cuts. You can get a lot of stuff. You don't want to walk, you know, from from the sidewalk like I used to at on it across the street and try to train in jujitsu because now your feet are dirty. You got to clean them. So one of the best workarounds to be in the modern world is to actually have shoes that are grounding. Our ancestors were always grounded, but rubber sole shoes block this. Now we're almost never grounded without making an effort. These new grounding shoes from Rizal check all the boxes. They're grounded. They're also barefoot for natural foot movement, and they're handmade of all real leather, animal-based shoes, just like we used to for many thousands of years. Comfy, stylish, etc. I absolutely love them. Rizals are grounded with a copper plug through the sole. Copper is very conductive. It makes the connection undeniable. Your foot touches the copper. Copper touches the ground, sinking you with the earth like being barefoot. The sole itself is just water buffalo leather. They're also relatively conductive. Copper takes us to another level. Grounded, when you're on any grounded surface, i.e. dirt, grass, sand, even concrete sidewalks are conductive, but not petroleum-based asphalt, roads, or inside buildings. This is a perfect way to get grounded throughout your day-to-day. And I've confirmed, not only do these feel great, but I feel better when I wear them. I absolutely love them. Uh, it's nice. You know, they're, they're, there's been barefoot sandals and things like that that have really taken off. I like having a nice shoe, and these shoes look great. I can wear them to parties. I also wear them to jiu-jitsu. I wear them everywhere. They feel great. They're perfect in the cold too because nobody wants open-toed stuff when it's 20 degrees outside. You guys will like it. Uh, this is just one of the best things you can do for your body and your mind and, and everything in between because it all starts with that connection to the earth. We build up from the feet all the way up to the head. It's going to change the way you think, the way you feel. Check it out. These shoes are barefoot, wide toe box, which is important for all of us, flat with minimal flexible sole, zero drop heel, no arch support. Let your feet be feet, strengthen natural foot movement, and they're not trapped inside squished toes, lumpy soles that weaken your feet. These are insanely comfy, like being barefoot, just enough protection, and just enough cleanliness if you're going to hit the jiu-jitsu mats. Feel the natural bumps and textures of the ground, but not enough of a sole to protect you from stepping on rocks. You got to learn and remember where your, what your environment looks like. This is an important piece too. If you're just pounding the pavement heel to toe all the time and not actually checking it out. These have been going viral. People love it, are loving them so much that they keep going out of stock. But when out of stock, they're made to order and crafted by hand just for you. Size exchanges are super easy, free in the U.S. exchanges or returns, so no risk. And uh, I, I'm telling you right now, this is one change you should make when we're thinking of New Year's resolutions. Get yourself a pair of Rizal shoes, and you're going to feel the difference all year long in 24. Go to Rizal.co, that's R-H-I-Z-A-L.co, and get 10% off your Rizal grounded shoes with code KKP at checkout. Last but not least, I'm super excited to announce that a brand new free event for my good friend John Bush and his team over at the Live Free Academy I get to be a part of. It's the Exit and Build Health Summit. This is a five-day series of conversations with over 25 world-renowned natural health experts in every area of wellness you can think of to share their proven secrets, strategies, methods, and more for exiting disease and building lifelong health in your brain and body. The best part is, It is designed for anyone at any age, fitness level, or current health condition. You're going to hear from Mike Adams, Dr. Peter McCullough, Zuby, J.P. Sears, Robin Openshaw, Dr. Kelly Brogan, Mickey Willis, my homie, Robert, Scott Bell, Dr. Sean Baker, Tanner Shuck, and many, many more brilliant experts in their field, including myself. The VP of sales at Live Free Academy, Ryan Minnie, sat down with each of these experts for a private, uncensored, honest, and in-depth interview about how to live as healthy as possible for as long as possible. The result is nothing short of life-changing for those who hear these interviews and put them into action. You'll discover 
Functional strength and exercise programs for building a powerful body of lean muscle to stay in shape, reduce injuries, and slow aging. Mental and emotional wellness programs for a calm and controlled mind to face stress with ease and enjoy every minute of your life. Diet and nutrition programs for optimal eating habits and food intake to maintain high energy, well-being, and brain and body nourishment. And a long list of other great stuff on detoxing, life extension, biohacks, if if you want to call it that. It's all covered in here. The Exit and Build Health Summit goes live December 6th through the 10th. Each day is 100% free to watch for 24 hours after it goes live. And we got the link in the show notes. Um, they, I mean, I'm saying like, well, where's the catch? The catch is if you want extra, you can pay for a VIP section. And we each did about an hour for free. And we, we, give, we give a ton of great knowledge in that hour. There's no doubt. It's, we're not beating around the bush, wasting people's time. It is awesome what you're going to learn in that hour for free. And if you feel so inclined, you can purchase for a low price and upgrade to the VIP where you're going to get an extra 30 to 45 minutes which eat with each of the speakers. And I can promise you, and this is, this is no, not bullshit, I even say this in the interview, I have never talked about what I talk about before online, and there's good reason for that. Never on a podcast, never on anyone else's podcast, never on my podcast, never spoken about the things that I speak about in that 30 to 45 minutes. The only way you're going to hear it is if you sign up for the VIP, but you don't have to. Please just check out the free part and I can guarantee you're going to be really stoked and happy that you did. Without further ado, my brother Monsel, welcome to the podcast. Monsel, the return, baby. I'm back. I'm stoked to have you back. I'm glad we're both in camo too. Yeah, it is It is lovely. I mean, I wasn't planning on wearing the full regalia, but um, it is whitetail season and... Got some tags, and uh, from a regenerative standpoint, they're the only species we have on the land that's not regenerative, because we, uh, for our exotics, we give them inputs, we feed them. The black buck have a very low impact, but more so, they can't reproduce because there's no no males with them. So we left when we put the high fence in, we left the gate open and let them all leave, and about half the herd left, all the males, and half the females stayed and had their last babies. So rather than let them eat all the grass and become old, unedible, we wanted to, wanted to harvest. So we're, we're working hard for that. They're, they're uh, surprisingly challenging for only 118 acres with a high fence. It seems like a harvest. And yet, you know, we're spotting stock, not using feeders and doing shit like that. So it's, <laughs> they know when, when it's hunting season, as yeah. you know. Yeah, it just another reminder of how intelligent they are and how aware they are absolutely yeah i thought it I thought whitetail is going to be easy on the first elk hunt i went on it was up in uh, joseph oregon and um they were coming right up to the rig like we could take selfies with them but they knew you know they absolutely knew and then i saw like the ass of one elk in six days and i was like okay this is why my uncles were pissed off a lot of the time this is what it's all about all right you know it's like fishing you're in there for eight hours and you don't get we get like one nibble and no fish it's kind of the deal sometimes that's one of the beautiful aspects of hunting and fishing that's such a reflection for life, too. Absolutely, brother. Well, we, we always talk hunting. I'm definitely going to talk hunting with you. And I also want to bridge the gap for other people who may not be into hunting on some of the reasons you might want to get into it and all that fun stuff. But uh, you recently got back from a trip, and I want to hear all about it. You sent me videos, and I was just, I mean, the hair, I don't have much hair, but the hair, what little hair that I had on the back of my neck stood the fuck up. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a whole different thing. So dive into this because you traveled the world doing super cool shit. And we'll talk, I want to remind people too of the other stories that you have from, 
you know, making your way to the Gobi Desert and different places like that, you know, when you feel necessary, just bring, bring run those back. They never get old, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just got back from Utah. And as I've mentioned before, I am obsessed with cats and felines and... Uh, Loves the pussy. I love the pussy. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, you know, as far as the... the uh, predators are concerned they're just the best land animals and i can watch them for so long watch how they move watch how they you know interact with the landscape and there's kind of a regal nature to them so for me it's just you know some people want to go on hikes and i just want to go all over the world see beautiful new cultures and environments and try and find the cats and so luckily I got invited by uh, a conservationist organization. Uh, they're out in Utah, and they basically use hounds. So they use like seven to nine dogs, very well trained. I mean, some of these dogs are like the best trained in the world at, at what they do specifically. Uh, and so, and these are like fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars worth of dogs that we're that we're running. And basically what we do is we, we let the dogs go in a specific environment where we know that there are mountain lions and they'll try and pick up a scent. And I'll get a little bit more into the, the relationship with the dogs because it's really cool. But basically the, the whole point of the trip was to find mountain lions in the mountains of Utah south of Salt Lake City and uh, either put GPS collars on them or replace collars that had died. And we also, you know, check their blood, check their teeth, check their height, weight, get all kinds of uh, data so that we could, you know, filter this data. I think it's, it's, it's a necessary evil, but in, in the West and in this country, kind of the way that we maintain and preserve wildlife is often done in a very scientific manner. And so some of this data was, was really like beneficial for making an argument that, you know, mountain lions need to be treated this way or a different way. And so that's why we did it. Um, We're like the aliens to the animals, you know, you didn't probe it, did you? Exactly. We didn't, we, we had, I had this conversation with people when we were out there because it, it <laughs> felt almost identical yeah, to man. like what they were doing. And honestly, I had some moral dilemmas about it because it's invasive. It's not, the animal doesn't want it. The animals, you know, a big part of my journey with that was like holding space for the animal in a various, you know, various different ways. Um, particularly with eye contact, you know, cause she's, she's awake, you know, the whole time she's just not able to move. So anyway, we got really spoiled because, you know, as you're talking about hunting, you know, sometimes you don't see anything. First day we're there by 8:30 AM, we were already on a cat. And the cat was already treed. So what happens is the the mountain lions and most cats in general they're fast as hell, like faster than you know anything you can think of out out in the wild. Definitely faster than the dogs, uh, but they run out of oxygen fast. And when that happens, they go to the top of the tree, and and so and because they know it's safe and they learned that it was safe. So the dogs find a track, they chase it up into a tree. We can hear it. The guy that I'm with, he's the houndsman. I mean, they're some of the best, you know, houndsmen in the country, and they they're listening to their dogs, and they can hear the different barks of the dogs, and they can hear that some of the dogs think that they've treated a, a mountain lion, but some don't. So he's waiting to figure out, you know, which dogs think that there's one in the tree, 
Um, and then he's, uh, and so he's listening. It's a really unique experience. <laughs> Is it the varsity guys that say he's in the tree or the, or the B team, the B squad? A hundred percent. And the team is really like, you know, a pack, just like a wolf pack or a human pack. Like everybody has their role. There is 100% the alpha. You've got the the woman, uh, the female Mercedes. She's 12 year old or she's eight year old dog. And she's old. And she, I mean, man, she's got scars all over her face from mountain lions. She knows what's up and she's not the first one to cap capture a scent, but she's the most right. So like all the young ones, the young bucks will get it and they'll be running down the path and they'll be excited, but they'll be running the wrong direction. And Mercedes is like, actually, guys, you're on the track, but you're going the wrong way. It's this way. <laughs> so they all kind of have a role. Um, but yeah, with it, within a, within like an hour, uh, 830 in the morning, we had this, uh, this animal up in the tree and then we went over there. And the beautiful thing was you'd think, you know, in a process like this, you just, you, fi- you get there. You have a, a wildlife biologist dart the animal, tranquilize it, and then you go about doing your thing. But there's no telling whether we'll actually get a mountain lion in the tree. So the the DNR, Department of Natural Resources rep, was in Salt Lake City. We had four hours just one-on-one with the animal. We couldn't leave because wow. we had to make sure that it stayed in the tree. Mm. And there was nothing else to do. And so that really became my ceremony. And, you know, instead of a plant medicine ceremony, sitting on a, you know, beanbag cushion or inside a maloka, I was just in the sun, no cell service, no nothing, just looking into the eyes of a 90-pound female mountain lion. Damn. So when you dart her, is she in the tree or how do you get her down? She's in the tree, and this, these were some of the interesting things. So we knew who this mountain lion was. The guy, the houndsman, this was one of the first ones that he had collared, so he knew her. Mm. He didn't go so far as to believe that she knew him. I was, you know, obviously I don't know, but I'm pretty sure she knew him. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure uh, some part of her could, could understand like, this is not going to be comfortable and I don't want to be near them, but I don't have to fear for my life. So when she got darted, she stayed in the tree. A lot of times the animals will run out of the tree. You know, they get darted, something's uncomfortable and they're gone and you got to find them again. This one stayed, she, she went to sleep in the tree and basically we had to go up, tie tie a rope around its legs and then lower her down and then do the work on the ground. So she, you know, she basically stayed pretty safe. Uh, That's cool. She was able to be unconscious up there and not fall out of the tree. I mean, that speaks to the <laughs> the prowess of such an apex predator, you know? Yeah. It was funny because so many times during the four-hour process, she's so intelligent. And she, when we would be on our phones... Because he would try and show us something. He'd show us like the first picture of this animal on our phone. When we were all looking at our phone, she would know that our attention was not on her and she would start to make moves. And then we'd have to go like scream and yell and make sure she stayed up in the tree. But she was paying attention and she also had particular attention on the houndsman. Like if I was going pee or something she wouldn't do anything but if he was doing something else then she knew like the leader here 
is distracted. I'm going to try and make my move. But a lot of times she behaved just like a house cat. And I, I see the behavior of house cats every day because I have two of them. And so there are times where people thought she's, she's trying to go, she's trying to go. And intuitively it felt like, no, she's, she's resting or she's stretching. And she was, she fell asleep. I have some great pictures of her just like sleeping with her paws over each other in the branches. So she, she chilled. <laughs> That's awesome. And you've, I mean, you know, one of the things we do when you lead hunts is, is we have a prayer to the apex predators of the land and out in Texas and a lot of places in the U S that usually involves, you know, some form of snake and, and the mountain lion. So it's pretty cool that you get to have that level of direct interaction. You know, I've, I've told the story a couple of times on this podcast of coming here as the steward of the land in Lockhart and just assuming my role, you know, and then meditating down by the Maloka pond and, and I fucking, I'm meditating, my eyes pry open and I won't tell the whole story, but I see a cottonmouth swimming towards me that's like four feet long and I'm like, holy shit. Long story short, it puts its head, rests its head on my fucking knee, like in my lap and we just hold eye contact and I'm like, what the fuck's happening? And I realize, oh shit, <laughs> you're the guy. I'm, I, I'm sorry, I didn't ask for permission. May I be the steward of this land? And I got permission and once I could feel the yes from my body, then it just moved on. But it was like, I'm here too, you know? This is, this is my land that you're, that you're with, that you want to take care of. And um, fucking powerful, powerful moment. And a lot of people don't understand that either, you know? Like, we've, everyone's got a, uh, you know, what is uh, Tate Fletcher? He says, everyone's a contrarian, you know? <laughs> we posted a clip of that online, uh, Fit for Service did. And, you know, you're like, oh, you wouldn't do that with a grizzly bear. You wouldn't man, I did it with the snake. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know what the fuck I'd do in a lot of situations. I've talked with Tim Corcoran and different people who have their own bear medicine experiences where they made it out alive. And no, the fucking bear didn't lay its head in its lap. You know, it was a totally different experience, but um, that was a powerful one. And I can imagine, you know, I can only imagine what it would be like to be in the presence of an animal that, that, that is that thing. Like you, there's genetic history there. You know, that, that every part of your body is saying, holy shit, right? And that even though you know consciously that you're safe and that it can't attack you, you know, many a human has succumbed to fucking big cats, yeah. you know, throughout fucking history. Like, it's embedded in us. It's in the morphic resonance, the morphic field. Like, it's there. It's, it's, not, it's not there in a little bit. It's there in a big way. It's, yeah, it's honestly, it's the biggest one. So if you look back at our species, you know, evolving on the savanna, we got big cats there, lions. There used to be like saber-toothed cats, and there were, you know, obviously jaguar, leopards rather. And uh, so there's this, there's a an anthropologist who did a study on baboons. He wanted to see like what do primates, how do primates relate with cats in particular, and especially in relationship to shelter. And he went to a cave where he knew baboons would stay at night and he he was in the back of the cave the baboons came in didn't weren't aware of his presence and when it got fully dark he made his presence known the baboons went literally ape shit i mean just <laughs> screaming like can, and you can't like baboons are gnarly they got fangs Why, like they yeah, can, i don't understand like, you have his fucking face ripped off why he, would he make his presence known at that point he he's i mean he is uh bless him for his his research <laughs> mind for putting himself in in that situation but the thing that he realized the biggest conclusion was no matter how fearful those baboons were of him in that cave they would not leave. 
they would not leave the cave. He spent the whole night with a troop of baboons shrieking and making noise because they would not leave because they knew what was out there were cats, death. Damn. And that has stayed with us. And that's one of the reasons why people, you know, our, our species feels so safe in shelters and homes, even like a little cottage, little cabin. We feel so good. And so, yeah, it's, I realized on this trip how much of a deep, deep relationship to predators humanity has. And of course, you know, cats in particular, um, but it's, it, it was a very old thing and you've experienced this so I can make it a little bit more relatable for people. Uh, you know, when, when we go hunting, when you, when you kill an animal, I think people would, would understand that that touches a very old part of ourselves, right? Cause we've hunted for our whole life. But by the same token, like our ancestors, you know, there's this great quote, our first religion was to kill God and eat him. And so our ancestors not only saw the animals we killed as gods, but they saw these even rarer predators as like the ultimate deities, right? And so there's something I think that moves within us when we have that close relationship with a predator that is, you know, similar to people do ayahuasca and they experience, experience God through, you know, relationship to the plant. And I think and that's yeah, also possible. Even bringing up Aya, you know, like there's, I haven't had, of all my experiences have been with North American animals, hence my children's names. But I think that, you know, a lot of people, you know, you go to the Amazon, they experience jaguar medicine or anaconda or any like the, the, the great species that are known in the ayahuasca folklore, you know, and, and in that, that um, pantheon. And you can become that animal. You know, like that's a, that's a whole, like <laughs> that's a whole ass experience to become an animal like that and to live and see as that animal sees. I think humans are, are, you know, we've conquered the earth for fucking better or worse, right? For a lot worse, probably for the rest of the earth, but and hopefully we can steer the ship back towards mother nature and away from mother culture as uh, Daniel Quinn puts it. But Throughout human history, you know, before all these technological advancements, you know, with gunpowder and all sorts of other shit, like we're we're kind of in the middle. <laughs> we're we're predator, we're forager, we're also prey. You know, like our eyes go forward; they're not on both sides of the head like an iguana, but and we can't rotate our head, you know, 180 degrees like a like a bird. But at the same time, you know, we're not the apex, not by any fucking means. And I think for all of the tens of thousands of years, well, two million years ago, one million years, 200,000 years, I don't think there's any fucking consensus on how long humans have been here, but I would venture to say it's longer than some people think, just due to the fact that, like, we thought advanced culture started 10,000 years ago, and then you see Gobekli Tepe and a lot of these other things, they, they redate, you know, at least, at least in part, many scientists have redated the pyramids and things like that, so um, it, it, it would make sense you know, that, that some of this stuff is so deeply woven into us. It's beyond our conscious mind, but it's, it's in there. You yeah. Know? Like, uh, Jung said, you know, like the conscious mind is, is the iceberg that you see above the water and the unconscious is the whole last 90% of it below water. You know, like that's, that's how much is communicating with us at all times that knows the history that knows everything that happened in our ancestors lives and it's embedded in us. Yeah. And you know, I, there's so much that's beautiful about Christianity and Jesus Christ as a wisdom tradition and as a wise person. And obviously nothing is perfect. I think one of the reasons so much of our relationships to predators today is askew is because, 
you know, Judeo-Christian values, which permeate the country, were evolving at a time when the key way of living with animals was through livestock. I mean, Jesus was a shepherd. You have these sheep. The sheep, sheep as I'm sure you know, are literally one of the most vulnerable animals. I'm to a shepherd, baby. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. They're, they've been domesticated beyond the ability to survive on their own. Right. And so when you have that dynamic, you have a, basically a religion that evolves around... Uh, Essentially, like we have to protect from these predators, from these wolves, other animals that could kill the flock. I understand where they're coming from, but it's very different than the indigenous of North America. They didn't have domesticated animals like that other than the dog. And so when they saw mountain lions, when they saw wolves and things, even down in the jungle, when they saw jaguars and anacondas, these were mystical, magical, godlike deities not something that was a threat to our livelihood that needs to be, you know, eradicated, which, you know, if you look at our policies towards coyotes and wolves and things in the United States, it's, it's a mess on both sides, partially because of this, you know, legacy of deep-seated fear of the animals, which yeah. is understandable. Yeah, even the snake stuff. There was one comment on the, on the snake post where someone... I had mentioned as above, so below, and it was taken out of context, but somebody was like, careful, that's how Lucifer got thrown out of heaven and, and the serpent. It makes perfect sense that the serpent was on your lap. I'm like, damn, dude. There's still, like, even, it, 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 we all have bubbles. We live within bubbles, within bubbles, within bubbles, right? And Austin's its own funny-ass bubble, and, and uh, I'm kind of in that bubble and kind of not in that bubble in many ways, as you are, right? Um, you're not the Austin influencer bubble, but you know a lot of people that are, and, and, and uh you know, it is what it is, but it's funny to me that there's still like people on the planet that wholeheartedly subscribe to snakes are the devil. They're Satan, right? And it's like, you know, just go go uh, one continent south, and they're revered, right? Then that's that's you know, you, you look at a Native American spirit wheel. They could be in the in the east as as like the the fertility of the planet. You know, and they could be in the West as the shedding of the skin and the renewal of life as we enter the decomposition phase and the death cycle. Like they're they're anywhere you place it, you know, it's a it's a medicine. It's a it's a medicine spirit animal, right? And it's in all the medicine decks, the snake medicine. Um, so it's interesting. You know, it is interesting that that's still. I mean, there's two billion people that are Christian. You know, you count all. I forget how much it is. I think it may be close to three billion if you count or four billion if you count all the um, Abrahamic religions together. That's a fucking big big number. You know, and it's not poo-pooing on all of it. I think there's gems in anything. You totally. Know? But at the same time, like that, it's you can start to think about even like sex in this culture, right? And you people talk about the Catholic Church and different things like that. But it's really like the Puritans that came here and the Quakers that came here that really wanted to impose that stuff. You know, so like there, you think about things like that, and it's like it's easy to overlook it and just take it as this is what it is. It's like kids are born with an iPad. They're like, yeah, iPads exist. Big fucking deal. You know, they weren't around before iPads. We, weren't, we were around before cell phones. So like now we get to see that. But if it, if it happened so before, even not so long before you, but just before you were born, you know, 10 years before you were born, you just take that as fact, you know, as not like a, why is it this way? Right. Like, why do we agree on it as this way? Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned the screens, the iPads and everything. That was actually one of the most poignant reflections during the whole process i 
don't think I'm as bad as some people, but I definitely don't have a relationship with my phone that I'd like and screens that I'd like. I don't think I have been as attentive to something as I was. Even on hunts, though? You hunt all the time, dude. But four hours of just staring in one animal's eyes. I mean, it's like so rare that I even get that opportunity. And I would definitely be bored in other circumstances, but it was just something that captured my attention so much uh, that I didn't really have a need or desire or care to, to look at my screen. And it was, that was something that kind of dawned on me. Oh, this is deeper. This is, this is the original TV, social media. Like this is what kept people's attention and was so compelling before all that kind of stuff. Um, well, the TV, even today though, like most you can't experience that in a video game, right? You can't experience that in fucking VR. If you walked across a Jaguar in VR, big fucking deal, right? It's not going to make your hair stand up. But experiencing that in real life, like, that's, that's an experience even if you only have it once, right? It's embedded in you. You're never going to, you're always going to remember that. I'm always going to remember a snake putting its fucking head in my lap. Always a venomous snake that I had to come to terms with it biting me and say, fuck it, if you're going to bite me, go for it. Let's lock eyes. And we fucking did. Like, that... You don't get that anywhere else. There's nothing that competes with that, right? It, it impacts you on a, on, a, on a level that you can't quantify. Yeah, and that's honestly what I, as I'm, because I'm on this quest myself, you know, this was, I just went on my own and there's some kind of like wild, wildness that's in my heart that I'm seeking to capture. And you know, you mentioned some of the other stories. I mean, I've been down to Peru tracking jaguars. I've been to Russia tracking Siberian tigers, Finland for lynx, right? So there's there's just something in me that is trying to find the wildness in these animals. And yeah, you can't get that from any kind of screen, any kind of digital experience. Yeah, Boyd Vardy, I think he, he in his storytelling, captures it best because he talks about it. Lion Tracker's Guide to Life is only three hours on Audible. If you haven't read it, we'll link to it in the show notes. It's one of my all-time favorites. It was the first book, Bear, as like a five-year-old listened to all the way through where he's like, can you put on Boyd Barton? You call him Boyd Barton. And um, those stories are captivating, right? Because the, the, the art of storytelling, Boyd is mastered, but at the same time, he's lived so many experiences like that. Like he had a fucking King Cobra crawl. He was hiding... Hiding from a, a, a lion or a, or a, a God, what was it? it? Might have been a cheetah, but he was hiding from a big cat behind a giant termite hill, like an African termite hill that was you know f- fucking eight feet tall. Him and his dad, and he feels the slithering across the back of his legs. He's wearing shorts, and he glances back and sees a fucking cobra. <laughs> and he's just like, oh god, I'm like I love that story. You know what I'm saying? Like, and he's got so many like that. He's fucking had his leg bit off by a crocodile, like. He's in it, you know, and he talks about coming to the West, how much he misses that. And he's doing good work here. He's, he's sharing stories. He's turning people back to nature. He's, he's speaking to the inner wild man and wild woman and all of us, right? And that's super important. And he's doing medicine work, you know, as, as, a, as a medicine man and, and um, really cool shit. But there's always that longing to be back, you know, to be back where you're in the middle, you're right. not the fucking top of the food chain. You smack dab in the middle where humans have always been, and you have to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah, that sense of, I totally understand where he's coming from, you know, that sense of adventure, the sense of desire to, to, I would say, in my words, would be like connect to higher power through that experience. You know, it's incredibly humbling to acknowledge 
something that's greater than myself. It's, 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 it's in many ways even more humbling to touch something that is greater than myself. No doubt. I mean, I think Laird speaks to that, you know, through the power of nature with, with the giant waves. You know, like he sees, you know, getting towed into a 50-foot wave. And, like, I can acknowledge that. Anybody who's been tumbled before surfing on 8-foot waves in, and held under for long enough realizes the respect one wants have for the ocean, you know, and, and it's so vast and so much bigger. You get that, too. Like, if you hike a big mountain and you look out, and you're, you're looking at from the top of the mountain down, and you're like, damn, I did that. Like, there's a sense of, a real sense of accomplishment. But also you can take in the bigness. Like, it fills you in a way that, that other things can't. You know, the minutia of daily life can't. I love how you structured your life. You know, I've, I've uh, other than, than being, um, <laughs> careful how I word this, other than being tied down by a wife and kids, um, other than having the commitment and responsibility of fatherhood and, and being a husband, <laughs> I, I fancy myself as somebody that has structured my life in a, in a meaningful but awesome way where I'm, I'm paid to learn. I'm paid to experience dope shit and report back on that. And, uh, uh, the better I get, the more wise I get through experience and through through the gnosis of learning something and, and trying it on for myself, the better my brand gets, the better I become at my job, the better I become as a podcaster, as a coach, all those things. And um, it's really fulfilling to have that. But I also lack some of the freedom I once did to say, I'm going to go to fucking Utah or I'm going to go on this hunt with the monster, we're going to the Gobi Desert, that kind of shit, you know? So it's really, I love it living vicariously through your experiences because it's fucking rad, you know? You get to go do a lot of cool things. Um, talk a bit about that, you know, just being able to travel and some of the more, you know, meaningful trips that you've gone on where you got to experience other cultures. You know, we just had Hilda Gore on the podcast who runs the Wise Traditions podcast for the Weston A. Price Foundation. And that's, you know, she prides herself on being able to seek out indigenous wisdoms from all, from all areas of the planet and report that back, you know, and I think that's like the coolest fucking job ever. It's such a brilliant thing to be able to do. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the one that comes to mind immediately is last year, you know, a week after Russia invaded Ukraine, I went to Russia, which was just getting there in and of itself was an adventure, man. I had, you know, our mutual friend J.P. Sears was talking to people he knew, military, Tim Kennedy, everybody was like, the State Department is saying Americans need to get out of the country, so do not go to the country. I had, you know, my camera guy had been in Afghanistan, so it was just like a couple of crazy kids who are just wanting to go track some big cats. So it took 72 hours to get into the country because we had to go to the only places that allowed flights into Russia. It was wild, but once we got there... You know, that was one of the most incredible experiences of my life because I was I was shooting a TV show. And so, you know, I really had to think about what is the story here? What is emerging here? And I got to spend time with the Udigay, which are indigenous people of Far East Russia. And they look Asian compared to, you know, the, the traditional Slavic Russians. And their relationship with the Siberian tiger was so different than the Russians' relationship, most Russians' relationship. They, this one uh, guy, Sasha, that I got to go fishing with and have a conversation with, you know, he told multiple stories where his dogs, his best friends, I mean, this is a guy who lives in a shack around nobody. He is isolated. His community is his dogs. And his dogs have, on multiple occasions, been killed 
by Siberian tigers. And there's this one moment where he's running after his dog and he stumbles on this cat. Now, mind you, I had a 90-pound cat. These are four, five, 600-pound cats. This Siberian tiger is looking at him. These over are the white his, and black ones? No, those are – so that that's actually a, a melanin – uh, gotcha. mutation, they're still the, the russet color okay, of like cool. the, the tigers still from India, stripes. but they're bigger. They're just like burly. They got burly big heads. Anyway, so he turns the corner. His dog is being, you know, killed by this tiger and the tiger looks up and snarls at him with these big teeth. And, you know, I just imagine what most people would think when they see that. And it's, got to defend my dog, got to kill this cat who's killing my best friend. And for him, he said, I could never kill something that was so beautiful. Like this is God in front of me. I could never kill this. And he just, um, he just stood there in amazement at the beauty of, of this animal. And that was so moving to me to have his, uh, you know, almost childlike wonder with this absolute, Apex of apex predators. I mean, this thing kills 1,200-pound grizzly bears, rips them limb from limb. (laughs) And uh, so that, you know, being able to have that experience and, and, and I think about the stories that I had from that. I think about what I get to teach my children and, uh, and what I get to, you know, bring from this tiny little corner of the earth. Uh, and yeah, like you said, it, it, it is, these are some of the adventures that I'm just so looking forward to bringing to my children, both in memory, but also hopefully, you know, being able to do that in, when they're kids too. I don't think my, my current partner who I'll probably have children with. Let's go, buddy. There we go. That's new information. I like it, bud. Dude, she is, (laughs) she is an insane adventurer. Like, kind of tops me so our kids there's no way they're not gonna be adventure kids i like that yeah it's interesting thinking about that i've thought you know when's a good time i want to take bear out to londaluzzi with boyd you know because he's he's met boyd a few times and um but yeah international travel with kids that's a tough one um it's all londaluzzi ain't cheap you know you know this so there's a multiple factors in there but like what when you think of like things that would change someone's life. Um, Going to Maui when I was 13 and surfing for the first time was a really cool adventure. Didn't change my life. Going to Puerto Vallarta a handful of times when I was, you know, in high school. Beautiful experiences. Loved them with my family. Didn't change my life. You know, I started thinking about things like that. It's like, what would really, like, yeah, that time where you fucking tracked a pack of lions and saw them, you know, and, and on the way, you know, you got to see rhinos and elephants and, and in, in their natural habit, like that would change your fucking life. Like there's no two ways about it. Like there's no two ways when you realize it's not a zoo. They're not doped up, sad, you know, laying in their own feces with a behind a 15 foot wall. Like you, you realize there's nothing. I, I think about that. Like even if you're in a, um, you know, what are the, well, the, the cars that they go around in the, the Jeep things? Safari. You know? Yeah, the safari. Vehicles. Yeah, even the safari vehicles, right? Like, boy's got enough stories where you realize very quickly that thing doesn't keep you safe. It's not like, you know, people get roid rage or ro- roid rage, road rage because they've got, you know, some, there's a difference there when you add a pane of glass and a little bit of metal around you. You think you're separate from the person that you're yelling at or cutting off. 
you know immediately when you're there that there's nothing separating the two of you other than space and time and that they can get to you. And um, I, I, don't think of, I, I don't think there's many things you could give a kid that would be more special than that. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I, I really, you know, when I go to Russia and I go track the mountain lion and everything, it is the kid. It's the kid that's making those decisions in me to some degree. And, you know, it brings me alive and that's really what I'm after is some kind of aliveness. And I think that everybody, what are we going to do with our one precious life? You know, get an opportunity to, and no matter where one is, if people are listening to this, like there's an opportunity for that. I know people who will just go in their five acre, you know, 10 acre backyard and they'll just sit under a tree for, you know, a couple nights. And their whole intention is just like, let the wild come to them. Kind of a mini vision quest they create. Yeah. Then, of course, there's hunting, which you can, you know, get into. And, and uh, you don't have to go track lions and mountain lions is what I'm saying for people who are listening to this and, th- you know, think that that might be out of reach. But it's such a important part of, I think, our lives is to have a deeper and deeper connection to nature and, uh, and the wild things that are in our, you know, on our planet. Yeah, absolutely, brother. It made, it made me think of Robert Bly, you know, in, in uh, God, what's the name of that book? Iron John. You know, he talks about the, the prince has to, he, the prince leaves the castle, he goes into nature and he finds the wild man. And the wild man, you know, helps him sever the cord with his mother and, and actually step into becoming a man with the wild man harnessed, you know, like that, that's such a trajectory for all, it was for all people. It's not necessarily that anymore, you know, but I think there are people that, like ourselves, that track that to get a taste of it and they realize like, oh, here's where the sauce is. You know, like this is, this is where life becomes real. You know, before I was on the sticks, I was in a game within the game. You know, but let me, <laughs> I don't want to play a game within the game. I used to think that with like Grand Theft Auto, these little mini missions. I'm like, why the fuck would I do that? I want to play the game. I didn't come here to play the mini mission. And then it dawned on me, uh, and mushrooms. I was like, oh yeah, video games. I'm playing a game within the game. I didn't come here to fucking do that. And uh, I think these things that that spark that aliveness in us, you know, it's not something that has to be done all the time, right? It is something that that, that it, it's like fills the cup for a long time and you still want to do more. But at the same time, there's a fullness that comes from it that um, I don't think you can get in a lot of other places. Yeah, you know, as we're talking about this, one thing that I'm remembering is the Dagara tribe. You you turned me on to the book by Somme. And, uh, you know, what he talks about in the book is how for the Dagara... This is of water and spirit? Yeah. The, the first most intelligent beings are plants. The second most intelligent beings are animals. The third most intelligent beings are humans. <laughs> And for humans to be in touch with and connected to their purpose and their mission on this planet during their lifetime, they have to go to the school of the plants and the animals. And I, to some degree, I really think the psychedelic renaissance is giving people a really beautiful relationship to plants. It is, you know, whether it be ayahuasca or wachuma, uh, and then even the things that you're doing here, bringing the conversation around regenerative agriculture and the relationship to, to everything around us, all the plants around us. 
and also there's plant there's also animal medicine and that is what i experienced you know f- f- you do ayahuasca you sit you know 6 7 8 hours in a molucha i was staring 4 hours at this mountain lion i do think that that mountain lion medicine that animal medicine is so important in that you know, rewilding of humans today, trying to find purpose, trying to find meaning. And, you know, whether it be hunting, you know, which I do to connect with animals that nourish me or, you know, finding these big cats and predators that nourish me at a soul spiritual level. uh, It is an important, like, part of the equation. And as everybody, I mean, we, we definitely are in a a, a meaning crisis where people feel like they're lacking purpose, they're lacking connection to the divine. And I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, screens and the, just being in the matrix versus like seeing the, and connecting to the wildness all around us, both plants and animals. Yeah. There was a guy uh, on Instagram going through, I was fucking scrolling like years ago right during the COVID shit, and he was talking about the inorganic versus the organic. You know, like, they, and they talk about AI and all these other things, and it's like, really, it's just like the, the you know, whether it's the digital, or whatever, no matter what it is, there's some, it's, it's a, you know, the simulation of the thing that's good for you, right, versus the thing that's good for you. You know, and I think that in, in so many ways, like, my life has improved a shit ton in this past year because I started boxing and kickboxing again once a week. And I didn't realize how much I needed that for me personally, right? Some people that's uh, golf, some people that's running and I run now too again. Um, but I'm just getting like a micro dose of this once a week. I'm never going to fucking fight again, but like just to go for an hour, hour and a half once a week with a lot of the, the farm team homies, that fills my cup for the whole fucking week. I look forward to Friday morning, you know, like that's when we're going to go rip it up. And then Monday nights and some other nights I'll get on the mats for jujitsu and I'm coaching my son. And then, couple days, once or twice a week, I lift weights now. And once or twice a week, I go for a run. And I'm getting in the sauna where I can. I'm doing mobility every day. But, like, there's certain pieces there that that are, I can't accomplish that just from weights alone. I can't accomplish it just from running alone. You know, like, I have to get it from the physical interaction of martial arts, you know. And I think the more the more tools that we have individually that we're drawn to, right, because it's not one size fits all. It's not like everyone go and take an MMA class. No, fucking, you might hate that. Um it takes a long time for somebody to actually be comfortable getting hit in the face. You know, like that, that's actually, you can learn to, to be comfortable getting hit in the face, whether you want to learn that or not, that's up to you. But um, there's so many things that I can't get from fighting that I can only get through hunting, right? And so many things that I get in farming that I only get from having that, that relationship over and over again, that I get to tend this land, I get to walk this land, I get to, even when I'm not hunting the land with a gun, I'm hunting the land on my walks with Guapo, you know, this little 18 pound Chihuahua Shih Tzu that's 10 years old and can barely see, you know, we're walking around. He stops when I stop. He's sniffing around. He tells me when shit's going off, you know, like where to look. And, um, and, and that, that's a connection point. You know, it's a connection point I don't have in the city. It's a connection point I don't get on other people's land. You know, like there, we got many routes here on this place since for 118 acres, like we know, I know which herds like to hang out in different spots and, and then we've got our own that we're rotating around the flock and the herd, the flirt, as Daniel Griffith calls it. Um, and, it and it is super special. It is absolutely super special. Even the plants themselves, like Bear, uh, you know, he picked out a fig tree that we're going to plant by the house, not in the, not in the food forest. 
We got seven figs off it in the spring. It was fucking awesome. It was the first time he tried fig, right? First time I actually ate a fresh fig, not like a fig Newton or something like that. And it was just like, what a cool, what a cool little way to reconnect. You know, like we're giving this as some good organic uh, um, soil amendments and things like that. And it's producing like crazy in a fucking pot. Like that's awesome. You know, and that's a little touch point as well. Talking about um, what you've been doing, you know, you had the TV show. Is that going to come out? Where's it going to come out? You were doing the, the provided, you know, you wanted to run a test where you could see if the only meat you put in your body was something that you had hunted and killed yourself. Um, and you've been looking for land, right? And still running the hunt. So let's dive, in, dive into this stuff. Catch me up because it's been a minute. We only really get to catch up uh, on podcasts because otherwise I got the kids around and it's like, Uncle Monsel, Uncle Monsel, Uncle Monsel. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, man, that commitment that I made that we talked about on the first podcast, you know, that was one of the best commitments that I have, you know, made with my life. And it's one of the most meaningful. It's honestly one of the things that has me feel so excited about children because I know it'll be challenging. I know it won't make a lot of sense, but it's going to be, you know, super meaningful. And yeah, I did it for a year. Uh, You know, I've basically since then, I have, I don't purchase meat to bring into my home. You know, it's stuff that I kill myself uh, or I have a relationship with myself and it's, it's, you know, I can go on ad nauseum, but suffice it to say, it's, it's a, it's a very, very profound commitment to make. And there have definitely been times where it's created, you know, tension for me. Like I don't have any meat and I guess I'm going to be eating a lot of eggs for the next week until I can, you know, get out <laughs> and actually full. kill a white, a white tail. Um, but it is a meaningful, you know, meaningful process. And that, because of that commitment and because of those early hunting experiences, you know, you came on, you know, I think the second hunting trip that I ever led. And uh, the one that I'll do next week will be 60 in three years, right? So that's a lot of facilitating, a lot of you know, creating these containers and obviously a lot of evolution and things change within that period. Um, you know, for me, it's been one of the greatest, uh, like training grounds, master's degree, PhD, even in leadership, because the space that I go into, you know, we didn't on our experience, but I use plant medicine. Now we use psilocybin, we're, you know, you got two ones with you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's, that's right. right. Not with the carnivore. Not dog. the first one. Yeah. Still not the first virgin. one. I don't You're know right. if you'd have been down. Yeah. <laughs> we did. Um, not then. Yeah. Yeah. Not then. Oh yeah. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. We had, we've had an experience since then, but you know, that, and you know, this firsthand because you went back out and you hunted after ceremony and like, that's a lot of energy to be going through that process right and easily one of the most beautiful experiences in my life yeah yeah by far yeah yeah and that's and and you know to hold that to create to try and create that now granted it's not it's not me i'm just you know god's conduit on the earth trying to keep the the wheels on the bus so to speak for 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 this experience to unfold and but it's made me into a much better leader and so you know now luckily i've i've 
led some facilitator trainings and I've got, you know, 20 facilitators across the country. Our mutual friend, Nathan is, uh, Nathan Smith, one of, one of the facilitators and him and him and Matt, uh, they lead experiences up in Colorado. So we've now we've done archery, like elk hunts. Uh, they lead some backcountry hunting preparation. So just pure skills based, you know, like long range rifle survival, all that kind of stuff, mountaineering, uh, and then all over the country, there's, you know, in the Pacific Northwest and experiences. Uh, so I'm really wanting this uh, organization to kind of take root and start to spread, you know, well beyond me because, uh, you know, I don't have any, I've thought a lot about this and, you know, I have the book Sacred Hunting and I have, you know, I've talked about it, but it's not me, this this whole concept is so old it's so human i'm i'm doing nothing more than just bringing back old things and adding some new pieces together and so yeah i'm really in a process right now of the organization trying to empower other people to you know go through this themselves and you probably have people who are listening to this who you know they might not want to come on an in person experience with me but they hunt they've hunted their whole life. Maybe they hunted their whole life in Kentucky and they just sat in a blind and, uh, and now they can be inspired to kind of take this to their kids. Um, so this is, is kind of a, a, a really important message for me to, to get to people because I, I think the ripple effect of more people and more children connected to their wildness, connected to the process of life and death can only mean, you know, positive things for society. Yeah. More people defending our right to grow our own food, to know that, that meat is healthy for us. It's probably one of the healthiest things we can put in our body for many people on the planet. And, um, and hunted meat would be at the top of the best of the best of the meat, you know? I mean, even even Robbie from Force of Nature said that. Number one is is something you kill yourself out in, out in the wild. They got to select every every bit of food that went into its mouth its whole life. Yeah. You know, like getting, getting that, there, there's really nothing like it, you know? There, there, I mean, there is nothing like it. So I think reconnecting people to that and making it available. I love the idea, you know, you're, 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 what you're thinking with your organization reminds me of like the food forest. It takes a lot of a lot of help in the in the beginning, you know, like raising kids, and then at about fifteen years or so, we could die, and that thing would thrive without us because it's set up from a permaculture design standpoint. And um, you know, you're trying. I think what you're doing now is you want to plant enough trees that that hold their own seeds to reproduce on their own, so the thing can grow on its own and reach more people and and make it available to people all over the place, right? I mean, for guys like us, it's like no big deal to fly anywhere in the country or out of the country. And, and, and for a lot of people, that is a big deal. So getting it to, to be local for them. And, um, that's a big deal too, you know, making it available for everybody. I really love that. Yeah. Nate, Nate's such an awesome guy. If you guys get, get the opportunity to go on a hunt with Monsell or Nate Smith, highly, highly recommend both of them. Nate is an incredible cook. He always stays at, at our house in Austin when uh, he's going to go, go on a, a hunt with you Monsell. And so it's, it's fun because he's really had a, a lot of experiences, you know, out of these 60, if it's in Austin, he's chilling at our house for at least one or two days and we get to catch up. So that's been super fun. And we actually, he came out, he and his awesome wife came out. I gave him a little, little, uh, wedding gift to Arcadia t- or tickets and they had a blast with us. So that was lots of fun. Yeah. I got to officiate his wedding and, Oh, uh, that's dope, dude. Yeah. Super so, cool. So it's, it's been, yeah, it's been special to see, uh, to see his and yours and, you know, y'all met coming on, 
uh, yeah, brother. his first sacred hunting experience uh, with you. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that's really what, uh, what the, the good foundations is, is giving people who are already in of themselves, like incredible people, you know, an opportunity. Yeah. To, to, we had, uh, uh, Eric Vaughn, who's now the GM of this farm was on that hunt with us. And, uh, Mike Salemi, who's, who I was close with before, but far closer with now. I mean, I think there is something to that. Uh, not plugging fit for service, but that's kind of the idea is that we build community by bringing people together, putting them through a challenging experience and letting community foster from that experience. And you're doing the same thing. Um, and I wouldn't say on a smaller scale, there's less people there, but the immersive seems to be something that is is even more powerful per se because of the fact, I don't want to compare it to fit for service, but when there's less people around and you go through something as challenging as a fucking hunt and then you attach a ceremony to that, like... <laughs> Those are your brothers and sisters in arms from now on. Like, that's just how that works. You come out of that experience and you know each other on such a deep and intimate level that you're not going to get anywhere else. Yeah, especially because, you know, we invite the wild when we are out there. I mean, you experienced it. We lost power. We were eating off, like, like propane we you lost know, power more than once we lost power more than funny yeah and I mean, it wasn't funny because it, it was so fucking it was cold. so it was right cold it was an apocalypse it was icy as heck and yeah i mean it was like we went on a moving meditation for ceremony because sitting in the cave just didn't make a whole lot of sense so yeah that's the only that's the kind of thing that that hunting brings i think for men in particular you know uh sitting in in therapy can be beneficial and I think men really... Well, you know Dr. Will Tegel thought that was nonsense. <laughs> yeah. He started off as a therapist, yeah. right? And like, there's something about being engaged in, in relationship with nature that's going to put things up to your face, that's going to force you to face you know, certain reflections of yourself uh, that talk therapy just won't do. You know? Well, talk a bit about... You've, since you know, we're, and I know we're, we're, we're not at a deadlock here to end it in an hour, but we are getting towards the end of the podcast... You've since run a number of female-only hunts. Talk a bit about that, too. Yeah, so I, I have had a few co-ed experiences uh, with women, and now I've started to do women-only. And I've been blown away by the experiences and the way that women show up. Uh, and in many ways, you know, things that men cannot physically even do you know for example the first woman to kill an animal incredibly beautiful story she she's a teacher english teacher on long island uh, she came with her husband she was the youngest child of three and her two older brothers got to hunt her whole childhood with her dad but she never got a chance to because she was a girl and so for her it was a, it was really about kind of reclaiming that she could do this she was capable she you know, wanted to, to go through that process. And Nathan was with her at the time when she killed an animal. You know, one of the things that I'll have people do oftentimes is carry it for some portion of the time because I want to, you know, metaphorically just have, take responsibility for the burden of taking a life and physically feel it. So she was carrying the animal and she later shared with me, she said, while she was carrying the animal, she started her moon cycle. And she said she wasn't intent. She wasn't supposed to. It was like two weeks off. Whoa. And there was just such a for her spiritual like she's taking blood. She's giving blood 
relationship. Yeah, give and receive at the same time. Yeah, it was really powerful for her. And so we, yeah, we, we just had an all-female experience with seven women. And, uh, you know, Lindsay, Lindsay uh, Animal-Based Bay, she was oh, there. Yeah. So she she was there with uh, a group of women, and it was it was it was really special. And you know, I try to create a space. You know, obviously with the sacred part of sacred hunting, I, I create a space that is uh, intending for us to connect with our emotions and feelings. It is about as soft of a hunting experience as you can imagine in terms of allowing people to feel and go through those things and feel. We did every circle that we had an opportunity to share i mean there were three to five people crying in the process and uh and it was yeah for me it was it was just really powerful to see people go through that transformation you know we had a lot of challenges you know whether it be a wounded animal or uh you know not getting anything uh for for dinner on saturday night oftentimes you know at least one meal is kind of dependent on if we kill an animal so there's a little bit of skin in the game so to speak and the women they had to face a lot you know like i have a leadership team of males and we're all you know i hand select them and uh I believe there's a certain consciousness, a certain representation of masculinity that's in a more, you know, sacred or divine form. And that can be confronting to women. Like, whoa, this is what, you know, relating with men could be like. And also, whoa, we're, we're being told what to do, right? I have, a very, I have a strong container, so at certain times, you're not allowed to talk with other people. And <laughs> that came up with an all women's group. Exactly. Amazing. I would never expect that. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, my son's going to hunt with me tomorrow morning. And um, first time he's coming with me, I will just be here on the land. But that is going to be the sharpest curve uh, for him to get around. Can he, can he, how long can he be quiet? How long can he listen and just listen and step quietly and just listen? And we practice, you know, tiptoeing around the house like we're hunting. And I think he's got the stock down. It's just the constant talk. Like he is, he's like the kid in, in the fucking van in Home Alone. He's like, what kind of engine you got in here? Is this diesel or gasoline? What's the horsepower on this guy? Is it a 12-passenger van or a 15-passenger van? I heard that you guys were flying to Miami, but the plane got, you know, he just keeps going and going and going. He's like, I don't know, kid, leave me alone. Like, that's him in a nutshell. So, like, I don't know. I don't know at eight if he's ready for it, but he's got a lot of friends, like Tucker's boy, Bishop. Uh, was just successful on a buck with his sister, and he's certainly interested. But there's there's a point where the rubber's got to hit the road, and that's the shit people don't realize till you're there. And it's like, uh-uh, you know, like this is how it's done, or we don't even fucking see an animal. You know, if it's not done a certain way, like we won't see one the entire time. You know, like you you go pee before you go out on the land because you start pissing on the land, like they you won't fucking see one. You know, like you're gonna be they're gonna know you're right there. So, I mean, there's so many things like that. that I, that's an interesting piece, though, I think, from a women's empowerment point of view. And it comes up in various ways in Fit for Service as well, where, like, we're doing things to, to bring about the, the remembrance of the divine feminine and the embodiment of that. And, and at the same time, how that's balanced, you know, the yin with the yang. You know, like, that is a balancing point there. The one isn't better than the other. 
And you could, you know, depending on how woke you are, you'd argue that one has been in total control and, and at, the, at, the, at the demolishment of the earth and, and the disempowerment of the people all across the world. Sure. And there's a positive side to that force as well that needs to be reenacted. It's not to be, you can't, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and get rid of masculinity, like fucking James Cameron saying that testosterone is a toxin. Like, no dippy, testosterone is 100% necessary, and it's high, highest in women and men, not just highest in men. It's, it's, it's a lot less in women, but it's still their largest, the most abundant hormone. Like, that's a fucking big deal. Yeah, and, and that's the beautiful thing about, I think, this space, especially for women with sacred hunting, is because there, there is structure and there, there is a decor, there's a way that it has to be done to be successful, right? We have a mission. So at some level, there's a masculine component to it. And it will provide them with an opportunity to, you know, still be feminine, but be contained in certain situations by the container that I create and I also see all the the triggers and all the things that come up for good and for worse as being the medicine yeah and no doubt and that's I think you know to a T all the women that have come on experiences have had you know by their own account great experiences and and I'm I'm proud of that. I know that there's you know there's always room to to make the the space better. And also I've 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 really appreciated the the challenge of holding space for you know seven women. Hell yeah, brother. Well, I'm excited. I want to get. I know Leah, Eric's wife, and Tosh, my wife, want to get out there with you. And I um, I think that that'll be profound and amazing once the kids are a little bit older. Getting them out for sure. Uh, we got to wrap. I want to do one more lap on the whitetail, but is there anything that you've got coming up that you want to talk about? Things that you're unrolling for, for this next year? What's happening right now? Yeah. Um, well, to the point that I mentioned earlier of getting this into people's hands more, uh, by early next year, I'm going to have a journal. I'm going to have a journal that basically will take the best parts of a hunting experience that I bring people through and will allow you to go through that yourself. So kind of like a, a five minute journal, but instead it's like, you know, 30 pages you have before you go out on the hunt, certain things to do. Like one of my favorite activities is writing a love letter to the animal. And then there's, you know, reflections during the hunt. And then afterwards, you know, with the adversity and, and things that can facilitate transformation in day-to-day -day life. So I'm excited about that. Um, coming next year but you know i've i've just bought land in washington state uh i'm gonna be leading some experiences in washington and in the pacific northwest i'm also probably going to be leading fewer in-person experiences myself personally as i work with the land as i start to you know grow things on the land plant as i start seeds. to as i start to plant those seeds and you know children <laughs> yeah. and house and everything is probably in the next 3 5 years so uh, as i as i start to have fewer you know in person experiences would love to have you know people join so yeah next march uh, i've got a slew of them um, and people can you know visit uh, to find out more and then for for people who come on a hunt and they just want to go to the next level i'm going to start taking people to go find some mountain lions too beautiful brother where can people find you online and where can people learn more so sacredhunting.com that's the simplest place for all the in-person experiences that i lead and then i'm most active on instagram which is just uh, my full name spelled out m-a-n-s-a-l-d-e-n-t-o-n 
Monsel Denton. Well, we'll have it all linked in the show notes. Dude, I love you, brother. You've been a huge impact on my life. I realized, you know, when we were, when uh, Saladino brought me on that hunt, um, love Paul. Absolutely love Paul. Wasn't a huge fan of the group, per se. There was a lot of fanboys. Uh, met some cool people. But um, I realized I was on the hunt to meet you. You know, and I've had massive, massive, amazing experiences with you thus far. I've continued to meet uh, amazing people like Uncle Nate. And I've also grown closer with friends that, that came on that you know, trip. You know, Eric and I have never been closer. He's one of my best friends. Um, thanks to having gone through those experiences with you. And you've, you have set these containers in a way where there's maximum transformation, maximum beauty, maximum experience with very little downside, you know, you've, and, and that's hard to do, you know, it's really hard to do. I've, I've, you know, guided my old man in ceremony. I've done a, you know, a couple, a couple of experiences like that. And, and those all come with unique challenges. And, um, it's apparent, you know, knowing that you apprenticed for so long under Dr. Will Tegel, that you really carry that medicine strong inside you. So it's my pleasure and honor to be with you, brother. It's my honor to have you on the land, and I'm so stoked for what's coming from you, brother. It's going to be dope seeing you uh, step into the game as a dad and, and as, a, as a purveyor and steward of the land. It's going to be really cool. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that reflection, my friend. I appreciate that you know Will and that you can you know, bring him back into our relationship. So, yeah, it's been uh, amazing to get to learn from afar as you've you know, raised your children and... and even though I don't have children yet, it's all been filed away and uh, <laughs> I'll be using it. So thank you. Amazing, brother. 